Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of Live, Learn, Lead with me, Allison Geskin. Today, we are going to deep dive into the professional and personal sides of Dr. Joel Shapiro, an international coach, fantastic facilitator, a leadership educator who specializes in leadership, culture, learning, change, employee engagement, collaborative practice, and merger integration management. Joel has educated thousands of leaders and is so passionate about making employees part of the solution, really building authentic communities at work and aligning culture with strategy. You will find, just like I do, that he is always looking for that perfect blend of humanity and business performance. So today, my friends, I want you to sit back and buckle in for we are about to go on one hell of an inspiring ride. Let's dive in, shall we? Hello, Joel. Hello, Allison. It's nice to be here. Yay, I'm so happy to have you. Joel, how do you define leadership? That is, you're starting with the toughest question of all. There are thousands. Did you expect? Did you expect to go anywhere else but deep? There are hundreds, maybe thousands of definitions of leadership. The way I like to define leadership is in terms of the work that leaders do. Leaders need to build talent. They need to engage their employees and facilitate teamwork and collaboration. Many leaders are involved in setting vision and strategy. These are things that leaders do. This is the work of leadership. And everyone can learn to improve the way they do that work. I love that. What would you say, and you play in a really great space, you've got some really great, like the inside track of things. What would you say would be the most critical or a complement of the most critical skills, experience, competency that a leader should really look to develop? Well, I think leadership starts when we're looking for new leaders and developing younger leaders with delivering results initiative and accountability Mm -hmm. and living the core values. So being a good person to work with a good corporate citizen, Mm -hmm. those things say to me, that person is ready to step up, ready for more responsibility. As a leader progresses through the organization, obviously you have to do a good job there. You have to achieve results, but there are a few other practices that are absolutely crucial. Collaboration, both on your team and between teams as a leader, that's crucial. Building talent, and employee engagement, getting people involved in doing what's most important, getting them engaged in important and meaningful work and helping them be successful. Mm. There are a lot of different micro competencies, problem solving, creative thinking, all those things are important, but the big practices revolve around building talent, leading teams, vision and strategy, execution or implementation of the plan, being able to get things done, Mm -hmm. high level stuff like that. Is there a standout leadership skill that's the hardest to develop for us as leaders? That's a great question. I personally think that different people find different things easy and hard. Mm -hmm. So think of the example of it's very hard for some people to learn math. For other people, math comes really easily. For some people, (laughs) it seems impossible to learn art and arts and crafts. For other people, it seems to come so easily. So if you have big people skills, you can really leverage that when it comes to employee engagement, teamwork, collaborative practice, building talent and stuff like that. If you're very analytical, then you want to leverage those strengths. In terms of your leadership journey, what's been the hardest 
leadership skill that you've had to develop? What's been really sticky for you? I'll give you an example of my first big leadership lesson. Yeah. When I was serving in my family business as the senior human resource person, we were in a, a very intense turnaround situation, little family firm competing against a multinational giant. And it was my turn to step up to lead. I can't remember what the meeting was about. And what did I do? I tried to lead like the two best leaders in our company. I tried to imitate how they lead and be like them. <laughs> but they have di completely different styles. They are totally different people than I am. They both lead a, by the not top-down command and control, but eagle type, charismatic, traditional kind of a strong leader who can tease anyone, including the customers. And they generate great results and have huge loyalty, but I am not that person. So mm. when I stepped up to lead, it was absolutely clear that I was faking a faker, a charlatan. Everyone knew me it was a family business yeah. and they could see, why are you pretending to be someone else? And that was obvious. So as soon as I realized that, I knew I had to find my own voice as a leader, find a way of doing leadership that worked best for me, mm -hmm. which makes me a better uh, leadership facilitator as well, because I'm a little more flexible. But once I found my own voice, I was able to take anything that they did that was really good and do it in my own way and sometimes even better. But I had to do it in a way that was authentic to who I am, how I work, and my preferences. Incredible. It's such an inside job, isn't it? Yes, very much an inside job. You're always finding that balance between what works best for me and what does my team need mo most. Yeah. What works best for me and what does my organization need right now? It's such a discipline and it takes such great courage because it's something I think that almost like marriage. I'll never forget my mom told me that, you know, marriage is the hardest thing you'll ever have to do in your life because it demands constant attention. But I think it's the same as a leader. You know, whether or not you're a leader of a PTA or a small business or you're a leader of a free world, it's something that you always have to be reflective. What am I doing? What am I thinking? How am I feeling? What's landing? What's resonating? Where am I blind? And it helps you understand how other people move through things. Very important to pay attention to what works for you what works for your team, what your, the context, what does my organization need at the moment? And if you build a good team, if you work hard to help your employees be successful and your collaborative practice is okay, your door is open, your employees will tell you when you're making a mistake. Mm -hmm. They'll make suggestions that point you in different directions, give you different ideas and perspectives. So it's very important to support your employee's success so that they can point the things out that you're missing because there's no such thing as 100% vigilance. Yeah. Oh, I want to deep dive into this because I really want your opinion on this. So let's talk about the perception of an open door policy. So oftentimes in working with leaders, uh, we'll have conversations around open door policies. How do you ensure that you are creating psychological safety that is not just performative? So for an example, I'm working with a leader who is challenged by their leader in that they their leader has an open door policy. If that open door policy is bullshit because a tone of psychological safety hasn't been set. So oftentimes they'll go into a meeting or they'll think that something's open door, but it isn't really open. How often do you think that happens around the world? A lot. It's a huge challenge for leaders, especially insecure leaders. Mm. You want to look good. You want to do a good job. You're ex you've been promoted. You're expected to know everything at your level. But of course, no one can know everything. And you need 
to be communicating with your employees. So first, you need to have dialogue. You need to know how they're doing and how their projects are going. You need to be debriefing your projects, what worked, what didn't. How can we improve? How can we get back on track and do it better? That debriefing practice teaches them that it's about learning, experimenting, trying, and learning. It's not about punishment. Mm. And then when your employees come to you, if they made a mistake and you punish them, yes, they'll start sweeping problems under the carpet. They won't come back. Your door will be metaphorically closed. Mm-hmm. So it's very important to help people learn from their mistakes rather than punishing them for their mistakes. Be a coach and not a cop. I love that. I love that. So how would you suggest or guide a leader who has made that misstep, who has you know, fumbled through an open door policy? It really is an open door. They're starting to see the ramifications of that. You know, they're not getting the information that they need or the information is being you know, couched in a certain way that the employee is thinking it's what they need to hear. From a leader's perspective, How would you help someone that is struggling through this to make repairs? I think you have to work on it on two levels, at the Mm -hmm. individual level Mm -hmm. and at the team level. At the individual level, you need to connect with your employees and have more and more honest discussions. Mm -hmm. Honesty doesn't mean a personal attack. I hate your shoes. Honesty means talking about what's going on and what the right thing to do is. So in that way, it's not about me and my ego. It's not about you and your value to the company. It's about the problem or challenge that we're trying to work on. By having that kind of communication, you start to build that trusting relationship with employees. It's not boss and subordinate, ego. It's about the company. It's about what you're working on. And it's about me helping you do a good job. So you can work on it at the individual level, Mm -hmm. person by person over time. And I really think the practice of debriefing helps you set the tone for the team. We are here to learn and improve, not to blame not to insult, not to humiliate. Let's Mm -hmm. do a good job. Let's take care of each other and learn from our experiences. I love that. How do you help a leader walk the walk and talk the talk? You know, we hear accountability. It's a fantastic buzzword everywhere. And I think at some point it may may have lost the meaning or the meaning. You know, a leader will say and expect accountability with their team, but oftentimes a leader is not accountable to themselves. You have to be accountable to your team, to your business. Mm-hmm. and to yourself. For example, self-care is not selfishness. I have an obligation to care for myself so that I can be strong and healthy and smart to serve my family and my business and so on. But the walking the walk piece is very important. Uh, if you think about it in a superficial way off the top of your head, you think I need to go and do work with my employees from time to time and do their work too and get my hands dirty. There's something to that. Mm-hmm. When there's an emergency, you got to dive in and do it, but you need to be strategic. So when you plan any kind of project or change initiative or major task that you're delegating, you want to be strategic. What do I need to say so that people understand uh, why we're doing this, how it's going to contribute to the company, what the plan is, et cetera, et cetera. And I need a plan for how I'm going to walk the walk. Mm -hmm. What intervention should I make? How am I going to be there for my employees? It might not be jumping in and doing work with them. It might be Removing obstacles, getting them the support they need, uh, doing regular debriefings, walking the walk can come in many forms and you can be strategic about it. What does, what am I really good at? What do I, what do I have to offer? And what does my team need in this situation? It's really an intentful practice, isn't it? It's not something that can be done on the side of your desk. It's something that has to be woven in the very fiber of everything you do every single day. How would you recommend a leader who's struggling with a team that really kind of straddles the two, wor- two worlds of having to do it now 
versus doing it right. How do you, how would you coach a leader who's struggling with a team that kind of wobbles back and forth? Do it now versus do it right. I think quality is important to all projects. What we do and how we do it, how we do it is very, very important. First of all, I would help that leader understand their priorities. What's most important? What has to happen first? What level of quality is necessary? given the nature of the task, the project, et cetera, I would ensure that they add quality to their project checklist. Is this going to happen on time and on budget? Who's going to do what? What's the plan? The level of quality that's necessary for this project, is it ethical? Just like you might have a a checklist for your goals. Remember the old SMART checklist, specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, and time-bound. Dave Ulrich, And John Cotter had checklists for change management because there are so many important pieces. And Ulrich reminds us that it's not about letting the checklist rule your life. The checklist is there to make sure nothing important is forgotten. Mm -hmm. So on your projects, you're going to have your checklist. What's the plan? Who's doing what? What's the budget? What's the timeline? Like the smart goal format. And or, or is it ethical? Uh, what level of quality do we need? If you don't want to have that quality discussion, you can just remind them, this is really important. We need to do a really good job here. Is there any consideration in either of those checklists or checklists that you've seen to have a conversation around how are we going to resolve conflict within the project? There are specialists who work in that area. I'm a pretty gentle guy. I'm not that great <laughs> at conflict, actually. I'm very trusting and supportive. Mm-hmm. I encourage people to resolve their conflicts on their own. I know for a fact you need to deal with conflicts when they arise because the longer they fester, the worse it's going to be for team productivity and the more damage it's going to make in terms of uh, the team's unity and uh, loyalty to each other. I know I do the same kind of thing with performance management. Mm-hmm. If there's a performance problem, you don't save it up to tell the person at the end of the year. You deal with the problem when it arises, and then you're not carrying it around. You're not building a grudge. You're not getting angry. You have to deal with it when it happens. Well, sure. And also on the receiving end, you know, if I've done something in January and I don't know about it until December, how could I ever course correct? How could I ever learn from that? It's so important. When you talk about performance management, both positive and negative, what do you think is the, is the right cadence? Like from your experience, what's the right cadence for performance management? For me, it has to be like a str- strategic planning at the individual level. Mm-hmm. How far did you get last year? How far do you think you can go this year? What are you Mm going to do and how can I help? Mm -hmm. That takes the entire burden off of trying to write a report card and fighting about what the score is, which is useless. It's all about moving forward, planning forward, and holding ourselves accountable as we go to achieve our goals. Is that cadence like a weekly, biweekly, monthly, quarterly? How many touch Hmm. points would you recommend in order to keep a pulse on progress and momentum to ensure that, you know, the course that you set at the beginning of the year is still going the way that it should and it's not falling off the rails. So the timing for me is uh, you're definitely going to do check-ins at all the major milestones mm-hmm. because that's a good time to say, are we on track? Did you finish that piece of it? How did it go? Learn from it if we can, correct or clean up if we need to. So on the project milestones, it's also good to keep in touch in general. I see in my weekly or monthly team meetings, 
how everyone is doing. That's a little sign or, or indication for me. I can see how they're performing in the team meeting. We have project meetings. I get to see how people are doing on a regular basis in their projects. Are they engaged or nervous, anxious, withdrawn, yeah. etc.? So I, I want to take every opportunity I have, every discussion and meeting, just to keep an eye on how people are doing as well. And obviously, I want to keep a conversation going with everyone on my team. Mm-hmm. Once in a while, that happens three days in a row. Sometimes it's in two weeks because yeah. we have other meetings where we're engaging as well. Is that helpful? Yeah, totally. How do you have hard conversations? What are some good tips, tools, practices to have hard conversations so that they're meaningful, they're impactful, they're on point, there's no ego, very little emotion. But at the end of those, that hard conversation, how do you create a win-win environment? It's such a challenging issue and challenging for me because mm. I'm a gentle guy and very, very trusting and supportive. But I think this is crucial. First of all, you need on a long-term basis to be building trust. So when you criticize an employee's performance or you point out a problem, they don't need to get defensive because they know you're helping them do a good job, working together with them to do a good job for the company. If they see that that's the way I treat them, I'm supportive. I help them learn from mistakes. I help them solve their problems or give them support and guidance when they need it. They won't get defensive when I say, okay, look, this is something we have to change. So the trust piece is crucial. Second, when you communicate, you you want to be helpful. That's the whole point. So it's not about blame and finger pointing. It's about doing the right job. What needs to be done? What are you going to do? How can I help? Yeah. Oftentimes we muddle ourselves through conversations that don't land the way that we want to as leaders. One of the things that I think is really important and that I ascribe to is that if you're a leader and you've had a team meeting and you know that it didn't land the way that you wanted to, the challenge of leadership is for you to go back to that team, not in isolation, but back to that team and say, you know what, guys, I think that what I wanted, what I intended to deliver, oof, did not translate well. I bungled this up. So let's do a redo. This is what I meant. This is what I intended. What did you hear? Okay, yeah, that's great. Yeah. Oh, no, no, no. That's not at all what I intended. What I actually was this. My apology. I set the wrong course. You guys probably went off and had a dartboard with my picture on it, but I want to bring us back online so that we can move forward with clarity and great communication and unity. Oftentimes, I find that leaders forget that important part. They'll either not say anything at all, so not acknowledge their misstep, uh, or they'll do it on a one-on-one basis. And I find it rare that they'll do it on a team and in a team environment way. It's such an important point. If a team didn't go, uh, uh, meeting didn't go the way I needed it to. Mm-hmm. I can tell my team, Kate, that didn't quite get us what we wanted. I'm sorry. We need to come back at it. Let's refresh and meet this afternoon, or let's meet tomorrow or next next week. Let's come prepared so we can do a good job. And I'm going to ask the question differently. Yeah, You don't have to make a big deal about it, but you do have to communicate it in a way that works for you. So I couldn't quite say it the way you just did. Mm-hmm. I have to say it in a way that works for me so that they know this is Joel, this is the guy we know. He's being sincere. If it's sincere, people will cut you slack. Mm -hmm. If there's trust because you work hard to help people be successful, then they're going to cut you some slack. And you, uh, that you'll have, um, uh, we all make mistakes and we need to have a little bit of space to make those mistakes, to learn from them, and to move on. And it is that awareness piece, it is that curiosity piece. 
oh, I think that that meeting went terrifically well. And then a month later, the project is completely off the rails. And you're like, what were they thinking? That awareness piece, how did that resonate? Did I communicate it in a way that everyone understood? What are my checks and balances to ensure that we have team alignment and attunement going forward? For me, that starts with the job that needs to be done. What is this project about? What does success look like? What's the plan? What parts are people going to play? If you really know what you want and what success looks like, it's much easier to have your meetings and conversations to support the goal, to help people work towards the goal. Let's talk a little bit about trust, because I think that that's really important. You know, in an ideal world, we are, as an organization, as a team, as, you know, individuals working together, we're healthy, happy, whole, and we've got trust. And, you know, that's fantastic to aspire to. But reality is there are pockets of distrust that happen across the board with individuals, with teams, with business units, organizations. How do you keep trust top of mind? And what do you do when trust starts to erode? Number one, you have to be trustworthy. Uh, Number two, you have to discuss the problems and challenges openly in a way that it does. it is not a personal attack. It's also in the way you deal with mistakes. Mm-hmm. Hey, let's fix this. What do you think? And you do it together because that's the way life is. Life is complex. You don't get everything right the first time. And sometimes you don't know exactly what doing it right looks like when you launch. That's right. The other thing too, is you have to treat your colleagues with dignity and respect. Dignity and respect is non-negotiable. Along those lines, you cannot allow people to mistreat others on your team or between Mm -hmm. teams. Because if you allow that to happen, people will assume you're okay with it. And then it's very difficult to get that under control. So be trustworthy, treat people with dignity and respect. Don't allow disrespect to happen on your team and keep focusing on what you need to do and engage people in what's important. How are we going to do this? What's important? Let's deep dive into a tool because I think this is a fantastic tool that every single one of us as leaders can learn to get better at. So when you talk about, you know, setting kind of that, those table stakes, you know, having dignity and respect and that being non-negotiable. And so what do you do when that goes sideways? What would be your advice to a leader that has a non-negotiable of dignity and respect, but someone on the team is falling off the rails? How do you bring that team member back if you can? What are your choices? How do you navigate that? So depending on how severe the breach is, how bad the Mm -hmm. behavior was, I'm absolutely going to pull the person aside. I don't have to pull them aside in the meeting. If it's really bad, I can say, I want to talk to you after the meeting, right? If it's really bad on the spot. Otherwise, I book a meeting with them and I say, this kind of behavior isn't acceptable. This is the kind of behavior we're looking for. Mm -hmm. How are you going to get from here to there? What are you going to do and how can I help? Like a planning session. You can also go back to the team and apologize to the team. I'm so sorry about that. That kind of behavior is not tolerable here. I'm going to be talking to Bill at the end. He's a human being. We all make mistakes, but we're not going to tolerate that behavior. We have to live the core values of the organization. Such good advice. Yeah, such good advice. I'm so glad we touched on that because I think it's really important. Let's talk a little bit about culture and why culture is so important. And it's something all organizations chase. It's an incredibly important question. And I think most CEOs know exactly how important culture is, but don't work on it 
because it looks like it's going to be hard to manage. They don't have metrics, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a big mistake. Mm-hmm. Organizational culture is about the prevailing attitude of your team or of your organization. It's incredibly important. And we can deal with culture. There's a lot of technical work on the human resource side of the business and organizational development. But as regular people, as business leaders, we can deal with it in everyday business language. How do we want to treat our employees in this company? How do we want our employees to be ambassadors for our company out in the world? How do we want to work together? And you have to have those discussions from time to time and look for opportunities to improve. Just like I can improve my skill in change management or leading a transformation, I can improve my skills and practices. Likewise, I can improve on any core value, teamwork, safety, customer focus. These are things we can focus on and improve. From your experience, what are some of the most successful ways in which an organization, and when I say organization, it could be startup, scale-up, or enterprise level. In your opinion, what are some of the most successful ways in which to measure culture? That's a great question. I've been banging my head against that for 25 (laughs) years, and I have detailed files on that topic. At the end of the day, we're starting with the question What does success look like? What does a good culture look like? So when I do culture work with teams or companies, I start by saying, "What first of all, what difference does it make? Let's take a look. What uh, benefits are there of having a great culture in your company? Mm -hmm. What are the risks, costs, and consequences of having a poor or toxic culture in your company? So they get a chance to make the case for themselves. We brainstorm it. And the difference between the two is astronomical. And then we can do the exact same thing. I split the whiteboard down the middle and ask, what kinds of things can we do as leaders to create a good culture? What kinds of things do we need to stop doing or do less of or that are unacceptable and non-negotiable now in the organization? So you have to have the conversations, but if you're clear on the results you want, which was part of that first exercise, what are the benefits versus risks and clear on the behavior that's necessary, whether you work it out on your own or you hire consultants to come in and bring you best practices, you're going to have a clear vision of success. We need to do this kind of stuff to achieve those kinds of results. And then tracking it, you can track both the behaviors and the results. Are we doing what we said we needed to do? And is that getting us what we want? Mm. Are we doing what we said we needed to do? Are we doing it well? Is that getting us what we want? Mm-hmm. I love that. What about your own personal leadership brand? So for all of those that are out there listening right now, if you're a leader, you have somewhere you've, you've been on this leadership journey. You could be at the beginning of your leadership journey, the middle of your leadership journey, at the end of your leadership journey. But how does one go about to develop a strong leadership brand and one that will carry them through whatever leadership ladder that they decide to embark upon? Very important. First of all, in terms of brand, people have to know you for what you're actually good at. Mm-hmm. So branding is not about bullshitting. It's about making sure people know you for what you do best. So the right opportunities come your way. You're invited to the right kind of meetings. You get the right kinds of opportunities for development. You have to start by thinking about tracking or writing down what are the best things I've done in my life, work or otherwise. What am I best at? What are my biggest skills? So understand your your track record and core competencies and capabilities, Mm -hmm. and then look at the next job you want or the next project you want and think about how you can utilize your skills to do that kind of work. And you're going to find in there somewhere between your core values, your track record, and your skills, when all three become aligned, then it's much easier 
to look for, find, and get the opportunities that you want. So for example, my brand, very important to who I am as a human being, Mm -hmm. is seeking that perfect blend between humanity and business performance. I've never been in a situation where mistreating employees had any benefit whatsoever. Yeah, And I've been in a ton of situations, and I've read a ton of research on this, treating employees well has a huge positive impact on performance, absenteeism, and turnover. How often would you suggest a leader to do a deep dive into others' perceptions of them? You know, if as we're, as we're developing our leadership brand, we've got our checks and balances, we're think we're doing the right thing. How do we know it's landing the right way? Because other people's perceptions become reality. So what sort of checks and balances would you recommend, again, for a leader, no matter where you are in your leadership trajectory, how do you create those checks and balances? What sort of tools can a leader use to make sure that what we're intending actually resonates and lands and is meaningful and impactful to others. Because and oftentimes it's never about what we think. It's always about what others think. It's that's so, so, so important because the whole point of a brand is it's not just what I think of myself mm-hmm. and not just what others think of me, but it's where those two pieces overlap. Mm. I want them to know me for what I do best. So first of all, I have to keep track of my results. Am I doing a good job in the places where I think I'm really good? Am I improving in the places where I think uh, I need to improve? So you're looking at your results. Your results are direct feedback. What do Mm. I do best? What am I getting done? Uh, And so on. Second, you have to pay attention to the feedback you get, whether it's 360 feedback or feedback on a weekly basis. Someone comes in and says, hey, I need more of this or I need such and such. That feedback tells you a lot about what people expect of you, what they think you're good at, what they think you can deliver or what you're not very good at and you're missing. And then third and finally, I would say in all of your meetings and conversations, keep one ear open for how people respond to you. Are you getting the desired effect? Verbal and nonverbal. Those cues are so important. So to go back to that performance management thing or correcting a problem or, or a mistake, yeah. are they taking it as a personal attack? Ah, if they are versus an opportunity to improve or to fix a problem and so on, then I know that I'm not communicating it well. And mm-hmm. maybe I'm not, not just not doing it well, but not being it well, not living, being a learning person versus being, an, being insecure and a blamer. It's like that old model of leadership. I think it's from the US military. It's what do I want to be? What do I need to know? And what do I need to do? Yeah. And you're trying to find a place where all of those uh, come together. I think a really good tool is, you know, something is, and it's really simple. It's just the start, stop and continue. So I encourage leaders when we're working on, you know, this particular aspect and competency is I encourage them to get curious. And so in their individual meetings or their team meetings or even larger meetings is for as the leader to take the position to say, okay, team, what do I need to start doing? What do I need to stop doing? And what do I need to continue doing? And if you can have that two-way conversation, then learning and attunement even become you know, more impactful and more relevant. Absolutely. But a good, that conversation is only going to be productive as you build trust on your team, because mm-hmm. if people fear you or think you have hidden agendas, they don't know where you're coming from. They're going to be less likely to open up about that kind of stuff. But when you get to that point where you can ask, it's incredibly powerful. And that's why I like to say when I'm teaching coaching and leadership and performance management, I like to say, I'd like to finish the sentence with, and how can I help? Yeah. Like performance management, how far did you get last year? How far do you think you can go this year? 
What are you going to do and how can I help? Mm. So it makes us aligned in terms of the objectives, in terms of doing the right thing for the organization. It really is like the common theme across everything is really to invite yourself to be curious. So if you're not getting something that you're not getting, don't just say that that's it's that person's fault or they're just that way or they're being an obstructionist or they're being a blocker. Well, why is that? What must be true for them to be either behaving, acting, initiating that way? And so to get curious, what's happening? Dig deeper. That curiosity thing is incredibly important and a beautiful thing to develop in yourself for life and work. If you want to go in that direction, the two books that have been very important to me, first by Carolyn Dweck called Mindset, something mindset. Yes, incredibly yes. powerful about building a learning mindset. Mm-hmm. And the other book that I love on learning, how learning actually happens and how we, instead of doing the same thing over and over again, how we actually improve is by Jeff Colvin. And it's called Talent is Overrated. Not meaning that people aren't important to the business, but meaning your natural talent isn't everything because you can learn to improve at anything that's really important to you and not to feel too insecure to ask because you don't know what that, what that person is struggling with until you ask. Yes. Get curious, find out, be inquisitive, be bold, go into places that you can set a tone to be curious without any limiting beliefs, without any you know, preconceived judgments of what you're thinking that person is experiencing. Joel, what's the hardest thing that you've ever had to do as a leader? Number one, helping people improve when they're insecure. People come to the business who are not all the same, who didn't have the same upbringing, who aren't ready to learn and improve, who don't have the learning mindset. If they're insecure, it's very tough to spend the time to help them overcome that Mm. So they can step forward. The other thing too, I was in a, a working on a major project, a multi-stakeholder project, business development. We we're building a new business. There were some challenges between the different stakeholders, and I really had to work hard to keep everyone together, to hold the group together, so that we could achieve our purpose, so that we could uh, uh, execute. And it just takes some patience, patience, and humanity. Uh, sometimes people, big leaders want to sort of grandstand or, or, you know, make a threat. It was tough to resolve that, uh, take it a notch down, make people feel more comfortable and talk about it in a human way. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I did that behind the scenes. Sometimes I did that in the meetings, but holding people together, even through challenges is a, is a big challenge. Oh, and it's a skill. And unfortunately, it's something that's not, it's not in the technical manual, right? It's something that you have to learn on the ground and you can only learn it when you're in chaos. And that's how you build that resiliency piece to be Mm. able to work through those challenges. How about yourself? What was one of your toughest leadership challenges? I'm going to say that my biggest leadership challenge was how I looked at myself my leadership journey is so crazy. Oh my God. I was in a director position when I was in my early twenties. I sat on an ELT you know, it, even before I hit 30, like I didn't know what I was doing. And I think one of the reasons why I am where I am today and what makes me who I am today is that I was gifted with a leadership coach, an executive coach to help me navigate, you know, these really turbulent growths that I'll be, I would be having to do. And the work, let me tell you, my God, it was hard and it still is hard and it's deep and you have to look into yourself and you have to question everything. Why do I think that way? Why do I feel that way? Why is this triggering me? How am I projecting myself? How am I moving through complexities? The hardest thing I think in my leadership journey is discovering who I am 
and to be able to widen my perspective so that I've got a lot of different approaches so that I'm not walking in front of somebody, I'm not walking behind them, but I can walk in step with them. I love that. Thank you for sharing. Who do you go for inspiration? I have such an unusual background. I grew up in a family business. I went away to study finance. I got sidetracked into philosophy, studied philosophy for about 10 years, earned a PhD with distinction in philosophy. Mm-hmm. Was planning on teaching at a university, and our fa- right when our family business came under attack by this big multinational company, mm-hmm. I just moved from Paris to Istanbul, <laughs> right back to Calgary, <laughs> right back to Cal as a philosopher. That was nice. I moved back to Calgary to help save the family company. My brother took the leadership role. Luckily, he had the skills we needed to save the company. He had been competing against Coke and Pepsi in the food business, in the beverage business. So he had the experience we needed. Even though I would have been a finance guy after studying philosophy, I was attracted to the people side of the business. Uh, So some of my inspirations come from philosophy and studying how we think and where our ideas come from and all that kind of stuff. And in my field, I didn't read as many books by leadership gurus telling you how to be a good leader. I spent far more time reading the people who were doing leadership development. What are the best ways to develop leadership, to build talent across your organization, talent management strategy? So that was a big inspiration for me, thinking strategically and developing talent to help the business win. I love that. I love that. If there's one thing that you would wish upon leaders as we wrap up our time together, what's the one thing that you would like to leave or impart? Oh, Mr. Wise One. Off the top of my head, I would say, pay attention to what works for you. What do you like? What feels good? Where are you doing a good job? If you pay attention, you're going to become more and more aware of your strengths and what you're capable of and places where there are friction that aren't working that you either need to step away from or improve your skills in in dealing with those areas. So pay attention to what works for you. Brilliant. Joel, thanks so much for spending time with me today. It's been fantastic. It's always so nice to talk to you, Allison. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of Live, Learn, Lead with me, Allison Geskin. Don't forget to hit subscribe or follow. And a great free way to support this podcast is to review and rate it. Always remember, my friends, that the most powerful thing you can be is you.